Hello, everybody, and Happy New Year. My name is Jason. I'm host of B2B Better, a podcast for the B2B marketer who wants to be better than boring. In case you didn't notice, last year was a tiny bit different to usual. For those of us tasked with amplifying the message of our companies and filling the pipeline with those sweet, sweet leads our commercial colleagues crave so deeply, many of the usual trusted weapons from our arsenal were snatched away by the pandemic. I'm talking things like industry conferences, where a chance encounter with the CEO of a target account can happen to anybody over a stale coffee and a crappy mini muffin. I'm talking about product roadshows, where an evening whining and dining a potential customer while subtly promoting the justification on why, yes, we are the leader in our field, can make the difference to hitting our revenue target that quarter. And of course, I'm talking about the swag. Oh, the beautiful swag that you could just Trojan horse into our target accounts by simply looking up the office address on Google, but good luck asking a person where they actually live so you can send them a branded pen without coming off as creepy. But now it's a new year, and this trial by fire has accelerated a digital reckoning for B2B brands to more heavily leverage tactics in content, digital, and social in order to continue meeting their objectives. The playing field, by all accounts, has been equalized, and the barrier to entry for channel activation has been taken down. It's certainly a very exciting time to be a marketer in B2B. For this episode, I rounded up some of the sharpest marketing minds that I know to share their predictions on what 2021 will bring to how B2B organizations promote themselves. I love the format of this episode. It's a lightning round style kind of thing where I asked each speaker in five minutes to impart their wisdom, meaning that we've been able to pack in a lot of juicy insights into a relatively small amount of time. First up is Sai Ali, who's a good Twitter friend of mine and all-round B2B social media genius. He actually has appeared previously on the podcast. He was one of the first episodes I recorded and actually one of the most listened episodes on how to make B2B social media not suck. I'll drop a link to that episode in the description of this episode. Anyway, last time we spoke, we touched ever so briefly on employee advocacy across social media, and I wanted to bring him back on so we could dive into it a little bit further. Here we go. So what I think what is going to be big in 2021 are social employee advocacy programs. Um, I have two little factoids. Um, what first one is, according to the Hinge Research Institute, um, only 31% of high-growth firms have a plan in place. Uh, second little nugget, according to Weber Shanwick, um, 98% of employees use at least one social media site for personal use and 50 of which are already posting about their company. So I think based on these two figures, I think um, we can see more and more companies adapting social employee advocacy programs um, in place if they aren't already. So you've got on one hand employees using social media and a fair chunk of them posting about their companies. And on the other hand, you have a small amount, relatively speaking, of organizations actually leveraging that trend to amplify their message. What would be your advice on how companies can fill that gap? How can they wield employee advocacy to get their message out there? For sure. So, you know, as the nugget that I just rattled off, um, your employees are already active on social as is, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. So the way I see it, you might as well corral them in to amplify your, your brand voice uh, along with supporting your goals. Um, I've worked at places where we've used employee advocacy tools such as Gagalamp and Bamboo from Sprout Social. I've also worked at smaller companies where we had much smaller budgets and we were leveraging um, 
communications such as email to get the word out. So I think the first step is just identifying um, your employer base in terms of their culture, the best way to communicate with them, um, as well as identifying the needs of your company, whether it's driving net new leads, uh, supporting brand awareness, bringing more uh, traffic to your website, or you know, um, supporting business initiatives such as uh, getting more registrations for eBooks or, or webinars or, or events. So I definitely start there to kind of help uh, put together the building blocks for your program. When we talk about employee advocacy, it seems to me that some people could think that that's just you know leadership within organizations, right? It's the chief executive um, who has a big following or who the media perhaps um, are fond of quoting uh, in their articles. But when we're talking about employee advocacy, we're talking about everyone, right? Top to bottom, everyone who has a social media account is a potential opportunity that you could be leveraging that to, to get your message out there. Absolutely. So I'm talking about every single person in your company, um, not just marketing. Um, I'm also talking about folks in sales and HR. Um, as you can imagine, you know, salespeople are always in search of gaining an edge on their competition. Um, you know, traditional channels such as emails and, and phone calls, you know, don't always deliver the, the same results. Um, and they're leveraging, you know, social to connect with folks and, and grow their brand. Uh, and they're following and get the word out in your company. Um, for HR, um, you know, most companies have pretty aggressive goals when it comes to um, filling in teams and, and you know, getting uh, interviews inside of the company. Um, so you might as well help get your brand out there um, and represent, you know, your company's culture and, you know, spotlighting teams and, and, and leaders um, so oftentimes people get hung up on, as you mentioned, the C-level executives at companies. Um, you know, let's make them more prominent. Let's, you know, amplify their brand and grow their, you know, follower base. But oftentimes you forget about kind of just the regular everyday employee who wields a lot of clout. They may not know it, um, but they may be too timid or may not know all the best practices and tips to be active in social. And final question. So if you're a startup listening to this and you know that you need to leverage your employees to amplify your message, but you mentioned a couple of tools uh, like Bamboo from Sprout Social, perhaps you're not at the point yet where you want to make that investment in a, in a tool. How can you get started? Like wh what is the first step on building out an employee advocacy program? So I think the first step is setting your goals and identifying what you want to accomplish, whether that's increasing brand awareness, uh, getting more folks to your website, or getting net new leads in. You, you want to build a base and understand what your goals are. Um, and then from there, you want to explain the benefit to your employees, because oftentimes people make this mistake of trying to encourage employees to share content, and your employees will think that they're just kind of being used um, to promote company content out there without being explained what the true benefit is for them. So you definitely want to hark on your employees to let them know that it's really about um, career growth um, as well as, you know, building their own personal brand. Um, the other part to that is you definitely want to train your employees so that they understand what the best practices are, whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn, understanding the tone and voice of your brand and how they should be phrasing your content um, you also want to definitely uh, leverage gamification and incentivization. 
um, you know, people in your company, um, you know, they, they like challenges, they like going up against one another. Uh, you want to definitely, you know, continue, uh, um, you know, hitting their interests. And finally, I would say um, you definitely want to customize your program around your company's culture, but you also want to make it as easy as possible. So I worked at a startup at a previous life where I was grabbing the live social links um, from our social channels and including them in an email newsletter and sending them out on the you know end of day every day. And at the bottom, I'd have suggested social copy that people use because the moment you make it too difficult or ask people to you know go through too many steps, you've already lost them. Um, and finally, you, you want to make it fun. Um, so again, you know these are people's own personal social channels we're talking about. So you want to make sure that they've got skin in the game and that they're you know enjoying promoting your company content to their personal social channels and in the end turning them into brand advocates. Some great insights. Thanks, Ayad. Thank you for having me. Next up is Amanda Fountain, Director of Social Media Strategy at March Communications. She spoke a little bit about how B2B brands can leverage the stories format that social media networks everywhere are rolling out left, right, and center, and why exclusive, short-lived content works for B2B audiences just as much as it does for consumers. Here we go. Yeah, I think um, video stories are going to be a, a big deal for, for B2B. Um, you know, there's such a conception that a B2B audience is vastly different than B2C audiences, but people are still looking for solutions and they use the same channels as anyone else. So B2B are not just exclusively using LinkedIn for their work. They're using Twitter, they're using Instagram, they're living their lives online and on social. Um, and so they, they tend to, people just tend to like narratives. And short form stories are such a good way to share a narrative. It's why they've become so popular. It's why every platform has them now. Um, you know, this the concept of having exclusive ephemeral content has been popular and growing in popularity. Um, and, you know, a B2B audience does still respond to that. So taking advantage of that narrative storytelling and something that feels uh, so specific and exclusive is comforting because that's what people are using social for. So why not use it for B2B purposes too? Again, people aren't separating their lives of I only go on the internet for this hour because I'm working versus I'm doing it to browse because I like to browse the internet. That's, that's not how people interact. It's not how they engage. It's not what social does anymore. Um, so the stories, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for B2B marketers to tell stories. <laughs> What kind of content do you think best is best served uh, as a as a story? Are we talking kind of behind the scenes? Are we talking? I mean, I've seen examples like from Microsoft who design up beautifully illustrated kind of cards or stories um, to tell you know a long form uh, piece of content. I mean, what kind of what kind of content best serves is best served as a story? Yeah, I think it's thinking about um, what do people want to hear and what do they want to hear from from you, right? So I, I said before, people are looking for solutions when they're kind of living their life, even if they're just living their life, not li living their work life in that moment. So giving them content that helps them solve a challenge, address something that they need, um, that's that's what's going to work. And it doesn't, it can be done in something really clever and funny. Or it can be something very serious. As long as you're giving them the answer to something that is on the top of their minds, that's going to help. 
And what would be your advice for someone who is listening to this episode and uh, agreeing with you uh, that you know we should start, you know, expanding our content into into the stories format? I mean, how how do they get started? Uh, you know, a lot of the listeners to this podcast maybe are in small teams, maybe they're lacking a bit of budget, a bit of resource. I mean, what would you say to them? So two things. First one is be comfortable with testing things and letting things fail or fly, right? You don't know what's going to work or not work until you attempt it. So if you can get buy-in of, we don't know if this is going to work, this is the amount of time it's going to take, we should try it because if it works, this is is what we're going to get out of it. And then just being okay if it doesn't pan out that way. Um, it is hard to get that kind of buy-in, um, but it's really valuable because uh, the more you can test, the more you can fine-tune. Every failure you can learn something from, uh, and everything that works, you also learn something from. You're like, you can take away that we know this works, so we're going to replicate this model, which just allows you to test something else. Or you take the elements that you think is what's working or resonating and pull those into your next test. The second piece is just being consistent, Right. You don't have to do something every day. You don't have to do something every 12 minutes, but figure out a schedule that's going to work for your team and your production. If all you can do is one great story once a month, great. Make it a good one, right? And be consistent about that schedule. Um, It's better to give your audience something that Mm. surprises, delights them, and engages them than a lot of stuff that is kind of so-so because you were just trying to throw it together at the last second. If you can build a schedule, plan for it, it's going to make the quality better um, and people respond to that. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about, you know, proving the success of social. Um, I would, uh, well, I would, I would think that doing so with stories is even more difficult than just posting uh, kind of regular posts, quote unquote, regular posts on social media. I mean, what would be your advice in terms of how do you demonstrate the success of stories um, to someone like a CEO? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it comes down to listening to your audience in the end. Um, so the people that you care about might be posting somewhere else, not on your own channels, but hey, I saw this great story from somewhere. Or they're, you know, you, you can of course measure the, the, you know, how many people are viewing it, how many people are engaging. But take that a step further and correlate it. See where else people are talking about you. If after doing the story, are they talking about you more? Track that. Um, if you're getting more followers or more page visits or something else, the more you can correlate data, the more it's going to help center and cement the, that success because it's not always a one-to-one anymore on social. Social was so popular when you could actually spit out a numbers report, um, but it's different. Um, you know, sometimes you have to say, this thing happened and this thing happened or this other thing happened. Let's replicate the model and see if those same three things happened. Then you can kind of say it was successful or not. Um, but it's, it's having that kind of leeway to correlate, not always causate. Absolutely. Well, Amanda, thank you very much for coming on B2B Better. Thank you so much. Next up is Jonathan Ronzio, another former guest of B2B Better. Jonathan is the CMO of Trainual, a platform that lets you effectively bring your new and existing pl- employees up to speed on how you want to run your business. Anyone who's followed me for a while knows that I love what Jonathan and the team are doing at Trainual around brand partnerships and collaborations that help position the company as more than just a tech vendor. So Jonathan came on to expand a little bit on what he thinks is a wider trend for B2B companies in general who are starting to think more like B2C in order to build more meaningful connections and communities with their customers. So prior to even just like starting this recording, I know we were chatting a little bit about how 
so many B2B marketers are so focused on demand gen right now, right? And and I think that's, you know, rightly so. Like I think in 2021, we will see marketing continue to increasingly own revenue in a way that it never has, right? And so rightly so, there is a tension on that and the strategy surrounding that. But I think that one of the biggest places that B2B marketing has the opportunity to have a little bit more of a land grab and a little bit more of a land and expand is on, um, you know, more, more consumer lifestyle centric brand collaborations, um, brand partnerships in a way that extends outside of the product service experience and is actually, uh, you know, it's, it's a little more inclusive of your target demos, just, you know, life outside of work, right? I know that in our, the last time we were talking, that was something that I brought up and that I'm really passionate about is like thinking through what happens after the person using, you know, X, Y, or Z closes the laptop, right? Where do they go? What do they do? What are they engaging with? And I think that um, the more, we, we've already seen this start to happen with like Slack collaborating with Cole Hahn, right? And that, that's like a super cool, like, you know, SaaS crossover into consumer space. And I think we'll see more things like that. And and it's not new, like, right, we, we've seen in the past um, McDonald's or Burger King or some someone made like a candle that smelt like their French fries. And I don't, I don't, I forget if this actually happened or if I just thought it should happen, but like Subway should work with Febreze and just like have like a Febreze your house, like a, like a Subway bread shop, right? Um, I know Pizza Hut worked with Gravity Blanket and had like the, the pizza blanket, right? So it's not new per se, but it's more experiential. It gets your brand into that living room, right? So I think there's a few elements of how this could play out. Um, and the Slack Kohan thing is one beautiful example of that, right? It's like how, how as a B2B software brand, are you extending the, the touch point and the relationship with your brand outside of the digital environment, right? How are you looking at that in a, in a, um, in a analog experiential standpoint? And then additionally, I think in the digital sphere, we're seeing more and more of these streaming platforms pop up. And, and I think B2B on OTT is going to be a, a much bigger player, right? Like we've got Hulu that's opening up this small business ad, um, you know, ad self-service platform. We've got Peacock that, you know, NBC's new streaming service that is going to be bringing in advertisers. We've got Discovery Plus, which is going after Disney Plus in a big way and and bringing in advertisers. And so I think there's like, you know, it's it's rare that you see B2B advertising the same way that you would see um, Wendy's or, or, or a brand like that. And I think that's an opportunity. I think for us to get out of the traditional channels that we think we should be engaging with our, our target demo and think more about the, the broader experiences in their life and how we can play a part of it. Um, whether that's swag, you know, that's something we did with Trainual was like, we, we launched like some trust the process branded swag and have sold like over a thousand, you know, sweatshirts and, and that's super fun. And it's not like we're trying to build a, a like, you know, clothing brand, but it's just a fun way to continue to engage with people outside of the software platform. Um, we just actually launched a partnership with Iron Man. And for us, that was like, Iron Man's this like iconic, like who's more iconic than, than Iron Man when it comes to training? And we know that like, we're about training and most people think of training as like fitness and we're employed, like, but there's a bridge there and that's a cool partnership to like talk to people in a different space in a different way, um, you know, to draw the same kind of connection. So I think there's, there's a lot to explore there. 
Um, and ultimately it comes down to like prioritizing the communities that you're trying to build and engage with and interact with more so than just the content. I think content without community won't win in the long term. And I think there's reasons why like Clubhouse is even like gaining some momentum right now. It's just like jump into a voice chat room, right? Instant connection. It's the reason like I I know a friend of mine is launching a podcast platform, like a, a player that makes it easier for creators. And it's like basically think of like Anchor meets Patreon smashed together as a way to podcast and connect. And it's called Moonbeam. I know it's probably just in beta right now, but like there are exciting things happening to layer community on top of what you're doing in a, in a, in a really fun, meaningful way that makes it less about measuring building an audience and more about building connection. That's a great trend, Jonathan. Thanks very much. No problem. It's fun. Next up, we've got Yvonne Aldaz, who is a marketing strategist over at Tint and is building The Future of Marketing, a fantastic blog that focuses on global trends, consumer behavior, and marketing with user-generated content. She talks to how she believes that 2021 will see B2B brands place a much greater emphasis on people and empathy and put that at the center of their decision-making, both for employees and for customers. In 2021, I feel like the future of marketing is going to be focused on people. Brands are going to place people at the heart of everything and every decision that they make. Uh, We saw a lot of changes happen in 2020, where uh, curbside, we had drive-throughs, we had social commerce, which is like the biggest thing right now, and then remote work. And so a lot of behaviors changed as a result of these market changes as well. So another thing on top of that is like, not only are people experiencing all of these changes professionally, um, but they're also experiencing them personally. And empathy is going to be very important in 2021, because a lot of people experience some sort of hardship, um, whether it was job loss, family loss. Uh, and, and the last thing you want right now is to feel like you're being sold to. And so empathy is going to be very, very important. Being more intentional with your marketing and how you communicate and what you're communicating is going to be crucial in uh, 2021 and moving forward. And what do you think empathy looks like for B2B brands? I mean, you know, uh, what does it look like on social media? What does it look like across content marketing? How, how can B2B uh, businesses, uh, B2B organizations be empathetic across their marketing communications? I think it all comes down to social listening and using data, um, gathering data and figuring out what is working and what people are resonating with, um, what is happening in the world that your brand should probably be talking about or educating the audience on. And uh, when you're dealing with B2B, it's also it's just very important to understand that it's not just one person that you're trying to sell to, it is multiple people that you're trying to sell to. So when you're communicating on social media, you need to figure out where are these people, whether it's your CFO, your CMO, your CEO, you need to figure out what does my product, what problem does my product solve? And then how can I tailor that messaging in a way that communicates the value to each of these people or each of these decision makers? Uh, but yeah, social media, I, I feel like is going to be very important also moving forward. I feel like because everyone went remote, it became kind of like the storefront of your business. 
And now uh, you're going to start seeing some sort of like rise in content created by employees because you can't really produce content like we were two, three years ago. And things are just going to change and employees are going to or your team is going to have to advocate for you in order for people to get to trust your brand. And then that's where the user generated content comes in and everyone starts talking about your brand and then it just creates a cycle. Absolutely. I think, you know, uh, B2B brands, um, you know, we have to face the reality, all, all organizations have to face the reality that, you know, for at least probably six months of next year, you know, we are going to be in semi lockdown, right? Still, you know, we're not going to be able to go to these big trade shows, big exhibitions that for a lot of B2B brands is the is the backbone of usually their marketing strategy. So being able to develop content uh, on the fly that has you know, not necessarily the highest production value, but can put a face to the brand and can still communicate uh, an effective message is paramount, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Um, and I feel like be, uh, people want to know who they're talking to. A brand, uh, sure, like you, you do see your brands and they're like engaging and they're fun. But if you pay attention, most of these brands have gained this engagement because of the people who were sharing content about this brand. So like Morning Brew is a good example of this. And Morning Brew um, started with its employees and they got, so they started tweeting and they started getting, they kind of took over Twitter and everyone loves Marketing Brew and Morning Brew. And so that's a, a perfect example. And then Fast is another company that did the exact same thing. They used a lot of employee generated content to encourage or kind of build up some hype and get other people to kind of chime in. And then what they did was they started resharing this content um, on their own profiles, which kind of established some social proof, which is very important because people want to trust, uh, people trust testimonials coming from people and from the brand. Yvonne, thanks very much for coming on B2B Better. Thank you. Next up is Fee Shales, another former guest of B2B Better. Fee is a B2B social and content strategist who has run multi-channel campaigns for every type of organization that you can imagine, from public services to retailers to financial services and everything in between. She's also the author of the popular marketing blog, Digital Drum. She came on to share her thoughts on why social listening is a tactic to learn and engage with customers and how she sees it growing in popularity over the course of 2021 is going to be one of the top considerations for B2B organizations. Here we go. So I think next year uh, we're going to see more of an emergence of social listening being used as a research tactic by brands. Um, this is down to this, this might have been triggered by a number of things, but one of the interesting things that's happened this year with um, COVID and the pandemic is we're all spending a lot more time on social. We are subscribed to or, or user of many more different social platforms in, in a lot of cases and brands are having to move all of their marketing or much of their marketing um digitally and social media has become one of the primary channels for them to communicate with prospects, existing customers um, and the general audience. So social media, I'd say, um, particularly in B2B, you're looking at LinkedIn and and Twitter. Um, it has become like a very rich um, 
a, a very rich place for a lot of social media content data. Um, so it, it's it's sort of ripe um, already because I, I work in this field and, and I do a lot of social listening for big B2B brands um, in tech. And they're interested in understanding what their competitors are doing, what the white space might be for um, any potential kind of campaign development that we might be working on with them. Um, and also things like measuring the impact of their brand, as well as, you know, what are the key senior stakeholders in their competitors um, organizations talking about? Are they champion championing um, certain causes? You know, what can we learn from them? And then you've also got kind of the, the ABM um, activities where you can look at um, what key, key accounts are talking about and um, and target accounts to see you know what messages you can come up with to resonate with them in, in some future marketing activity or you know what are they really interested in and, and passionate about if you're looking at things like CSR so social listening I think is going to be even more um, important as a tactic next year because it's 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 just has to be um brands need more intel they can't do various things that they could do before because of you know the way we've changed our behaviors if you're working as a marketer in in b2b and social listening is actually kind of uh, as a tactic it's very underused and so some recent research came out from uh, social bakers which indicated that at this current point only eight percent of uh, brands use a listening solution to uncover insight um, related to competitor uh, analysis. So I think there's just a lot of opportunity there for brands to um, utilize this kind of research. The, the thing about social listening is that although it can uncover rich um, sets of insights, it's very human uh, driven. So even if you use a tool which I recommend you do um, to to pull the data. There's still a lot of time investment needed in the the sorting of that data, the analysis. It really needs a brain to kind of think through what are the the, the themes and trends coming out here. So I think social listening, as as you say, is going to be a huge trend for B two B marketers in 2021. Um, all the arguments you've made make a lot of sense. Uh, we still won't be in person with one another um, for what's looking like the first half of 2021. So a lot of uh, engagement between B2B companies and their clients is going to be online. And social media is certainly a platform where that could happen. For someone who's listening to this and they recognize the need to jump on the social listening bandwagon and start leveraging it to help influence their messaging, but perhaps aren't at the point where they're ready to invest in an agency to help them do that. They just want to get started and prove the concept before, you know, bringing in some professional help. What would be your advice to that person? How can they get started when it comes to social listening in B2B? I think a good first step is reading up on exactly what it is. I think there's a lot of from my perception of it is from talking to people even at the agency and even to some clients sometimes is that there's a bit of mystery around it and some people describe social listening in such a way that it makes it seem like it's a completely automated process 
where um, various only various things might be picked up but actually it's a very flexible form of research so I recommend that um, marketers read really read properly around the subject of social listening to really get that understanding of what it is and what it means and then if you want to kind of see it in action um, there are loads of tools now um, on the market most of which are offering free trials for anything from seven days to to a month where you can kind of really test some stuff out just by doing a bit of setup and then you can see the kind of data that it's pulling in how you know to what extent that tool might help you sort it or show you what those you know what the what the um the trends or the themes are but in my experience having tested quite a few and i actually use Brandwatch, which is i think one of if not the market leader in social listening um there's still a lot of time needed to kind of sort through you know potentially really high volumes of data so we're talking sort of thousands of of posts that might have been um pulled over a time duration of maybe just you know a week or two um so i think just testing things out and uh using using maybe a trial of a, a social listening tool is is a really good um step after you've you've done that bit of reading fishels thank you very much no worries thank you next up is claire kennedy social media manager for the research company forrester Claire dives into what she believes, and I agree with, is a shift from B2B brands talking about themselves to talking directly to the needs of their buyers. How ultimately there is now a fundamental question every B2B organization needs to be asking itself. Why should people care? Here we go. So I really think it's the shift from B2B brands talking about themselves to really speaking to the needs of their buyers. So... B2C is great at this because, you know, it's easier for them to have a personality, but B2B really had a reckoning this year in two specific areas. One, how do we really help? How have we adapted to meet their needs? Maybe new assets, new research, maybe you changed up an entire product roadmap. And then the second, why should people care? So what actually happens if people don't use your product or service? How are you actually changing their life? Which may seem a little egotistical (laughs) for a B2B company to say, but throughout 2020 and moving forward, it's honestly been true. If you can make digital experiences better and more human and make people feel seen and heard, that's generally changing the way that they operate and work. And this is one of those problems I think, you know, a lot of B2B companies understand and they recognize yet so few are able to really activate on it i mean how when you say speaking to the needs of of their customers and being more human what would be your advice on how they can go about doing that you know b2b brand where, where would they start yeah so I, I think it's one of those things where you have to really be diving in first to the personas so not just saying we're going after sales who in sales and then think about the behaviors that you're solving or trying to solve So if you're, let's say, a project management tool, you're not just selling product management or project management, you're selling peace of mind, transparency, efficiency, or you're selling one less thing for them to worry about. (laughs) So really tapping into those behaviors and emotions of your buyer, 
rather than just this is a product that you need because that's not how you're going to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. You're going to differentiate yourself by being something that they feel is inherently making them feel safer, more connected, more heard, maybe better customer service. Those are the things that actually resonate with people versus just what product is on the market. I think, you know, having worked in the B2B world for, 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 a, for a long time now, um, what, what, what I'm seeing in, in, in my space is a lot of B2B companies moving away or recognizing the fact that the, the, the spine of what has been their marketing strategy for a long time in the form of physical events, kind of exhibitions, conferences, things like that is probably going to still be off the table for a significant part of 2021. And I guess this is where experimenting with digital channels, um, really comes to the fore um what what would you say to that how how can b2b companies you know leverage things like social media to really um connect with their connect with their clients on a on a human level yeah that's a great question i think it's going to be different for each brand and you know that's that's easy to say but for example in my company we can't really you know necessarily use gifts or use kind of silly language or be as maybe punny or witty as other brands, what we can do is speak the language of our buyers. So if I'm talking to a CSO, I'm speaking in clear data points, I'm getting to the point, and I'm really honing in on that, what's in it for them. For marketers, I'm maybe building confidence, being a little bit more creative, making them feel seen and heard and respected, because that's what a marketing leader really looks for. So being human and thinking about needs can really just be shifting your copy, shifting your images, seeing what media resonates better with your audiences. Like maybe data points work better for IT leaders and maybe quotes work better for marketing. There's little shifts, but the more you start to understand their behavior and speak to it, they start to feel represented in your brand and start to have a human connection. Even if you aren't, you know, using a mascot or using memes to connect with them, they'll still feel part of that brand experience and i guess it also is about educating people outside of the marketing team within your organization to you know leverage their own social media channels and also feel more comfortable in adopting a more human approach in their outreach um you know particularly with with sales teams um would you say that you know it's important to equip them as well with this the the tools they need to go out there and put a more human face on on your organization absolutely and that's actually a huge thing that i teach in my role is using your personal brand to be an extension of your work brand. So my company has certain principles and things that we like to present to, you know, the public, but a sales rep can take that down a notch and really say, we're not just saying be more customer obsessed. This is what we mean. And really breaking it down, watering it down for their buyers and adding that human face to the brand that the brand doesn't really have. You know, we have our CEO, we have our executive team, but there's not really a face to our voice by each sales rep adding their voice to all of this content and adding their face to this content. It really brings in that human level, brings in that genuine level and makes the brand not have to be necessarily in every corner of the internet, not have every single conversation. So there are some times where if the employees are actually doing better at sharing a piece of content, I might actually dial it back a little bit from the brand to make sure that they're able to really 
share that, feel comfortable sharing it, and it becomes part of that overall brand. Claire, thanks very much for appearing on B2B Better. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Finally, we turn to Jason Keith. Alongside having one of the best first names around, Jason is the founder of Social Fresh and organizes one of North America's most respected and well-attended social media conferences of the year. Jason talked me through how he feels there is a shift in momentum around B2B brands leveraging episodic branded video content to promote themselves. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of cheating. I think I have two, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with... Um episodic video. I think in general, consumers are getting much more in tune to video content online and it needs to be more mature, more produced, uh, more branded and creating a series, whether it's a mini series or a longer series of a video show, I think has huge benefits for brands of all types, especially B2B. One thing, one trend that I've been seeing kind of rise up over the last couple of years is this behind the scenes in B2B. I think, you know, there's a misconception that behind the scenes is only interesting if you're a a B2C organization, but actually, you know, B2B buyers are interested in how the sausage is made, wouldn't you say? I think behind the scenes is one of the easiest storytelling formats uh, for video uh, because any business can do it. Um, Even if you're one person, you know, creating a software startup in, in your garage, like what your desk looks like in that garage, what your software setup is, what your day-to-day, uh, day-in-the-life storytelling is, is interesting. You know, you can build emotional content around that and you can build content that's relevant to your product and to your customers. So I think it's highly relevant and I think it's, uh, you know, a, a pretty a pretty easy frame for, for a lot of businesses to plug into. I also, think, I also think it kind of ties into this trend that I'm seeing a lot in the Twitterverse right now, which is this concept of building in public, right? Where if you're building a new solution, um, and you see this very much in the case of companies like Fast, who we were talking a little bit about uh, before we started recording, where they are building solutions in public, documenting that process and publishing it um, across social media. Yeah, and you, you also see that trend significantly on TikTok, where businesses are tic- in TikTok their whole video theme, you know, every, every video they put out is them making their product, them packaging their product, you know, whatever, whatever piece of their process they can share. And those little snapshots uh, are, you know, going viral and, you know, they're fascinating when you drill into the minutia of, of different business types. Um, and I think, you know, transparency, social media has long been pushing the transparency and responsibility of businesses, um, you know, for over a decade now. And we're, seen that more than ever now, especially on these on these newer platforms and growing channels. Absolutely. You mentioned you had a, a second trend. What was that? Well, just, you know, we're, we're talking about it already, which is not Facebook, not Instagram. You know, Facebook and Instagram have dominated social media for so long. I think we're starting to see Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Reddit, even Snapchat, and, and of course, most recently, TikTok become significant competitors for Facebook, so much so that social, that brands can look to these social networks as a primary or secondary channel for their social marketing. Um, and specifically for B2B, I think, you know, LinkedIn and, and Twitter are, are ripe for that effort. Yeah, absolutely. I think someone who's listening to this and is, you know, nodding their head eagerly, hearing you speak, saying, yes, episodic, episodic content is what I need to be creating. I need to be getting my process out there, but I don't know where to start. What we're talking about here isn't necessarily huge, high production value, 
um, you know, pieces of content, right? This is something that you can be creating just using your smartphone, putting it, as you say, on your desk, watching you work. It doesn't have to be, uh, especially for someone who's starting out, it doesn't have to be this huge costly endeavor, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I would start with, you know, Snapchat stories, Instagram stories, fleets on Twitter, you know, those are simple video platforms where you're actually doing the editing frame by frame or, or cut by cut, right? They're they're the most simplistic version of this. Um, you can also do it as a live stream where you're not doing any editing uh, and you're doing a discussion show or an interview show or something like that. Uh, StreamYard is a really good tool that adds a level of production really cheap, if not free, uh, depending on your use case and can plug into most of the social networks, live video options. Um, I think experimenting with kind of these entry level uh, video uh, positions are, are a great way for you to learn kind of what makes a show, what makes the visual characteristics of a show, the scripting, the formatting, et cetera. Great. Jason, thanks very much. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. A huge thank you again to my guests for taking part in this episode. I'll be linking to their respective social profiles in the description of this episode. If you found this episode at all useful, go ahead and leave a rating or a review or subscribe or just shoot me a message on Twitter telling me so. It'll make my day. If you've got any questions or there's a burning topic that you'd like to hear me talk about on B2B Better, you can connect with me on Twitter at Jason R. Bradwell or reach out to me on LinkedIn. And finally, I said this on the last episode, but I'm going to say it again. I've started a newsletter. The B2B Byte is a weekly article where I break down the most interesting stories from the world of B2B into fun-sized, digestible chunks. I'll leave the link where you can subscribe in the description of this episode as well. See you next time.